What it is, RJLA family. I am Angela Birdsong, your conversation piece host on Radio Justice LA Morning Wake Up Call at radiojustice.org, where something new or unusual to talk about for stimulating conversation for you on the bus, train, plane, or simply at the water cooler or in Cubicle Nation. June is Men's Health Month, and today on Conversation Piece, we meet Morehouse Medical School alum, Dr. Mohamed Shawaib, who talks about being African-American as a risk factor in most diseases and why, along with telling his journey to medical school. Welcome to Conversation Piece. Welcome back to Conversation Piece. I am your host, Angela Birdsong, with guest Dr. Muhammad Shuaib, African-American from South Los Angeles, the Hyde Park area, to Morehouse Medical School, now preparing to graduate as a resident to head into cardiology for his fellowship at Harbor UCLA. Dr. Shuaib, welcome to Conversation Piece. Thank you, Angela. I, this is such an awesome experience. Um, I really appreciate this. I am so glad that you said yes. And just a, a quick backstory. I had um, was told by one of your fellow co-workers that there was an awesome black doctor on the campus and that I it would be perfect person for me to interview. And, and here we are. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. This right, is, right. And yeah. and and what that what that person has said was that you were from Inglewood, and we found you know I later found out in the pre-interview that you were born in Inglewood, mm -hmm. but you're from the High Park area. And I just thought how inspiring your story would be for anyone who is looking to go to medical school, or to college, or what have you, to do something different, coming from the South Los Angeles area. Now. Tell us a little bit about your family background and when did you first know you wanted to be a medical doctor? Yeah, sure. Um, so my parents originally came here from Ghana. Um, they came here in 1977. My father was an imam and they came here basically to help spread Islam. Um, they initially came to Chicago and my mom was like, no, it's way too cold. <laughs> So they ended up moving uh, to California, and that's when my dad uh, set up a mosque and that's still there on Florence Avenue. Florence and what? Florence and Arlington is probably the closest, like, cross streets. Yeah, so they moved to California, and um, I was born um, in 1983. Yeah, so my mom, she became a respiratory therapist, and she, working in the medical field, always felt like, man, you know, my boys, I, I have three other brothers, so I want my boys to, to be doing something in the healthcare field. Um, not only is it um, kind of engaging um, mental, mentally-wise, but uh, just the same, you get to help people. And so she wanted always all of her boys to be doctors. I would say growing up in the Hyde Park area, I grew up, basically the, the main cross streets were Arlington and Van Ness, pretty darn close to Slauson and Crenshaw. Yeah, growing up there was a great experience. Like our block was basically a lot of older black people who made sure that, the, that our block was nice and safe. Um, that being said, if you go one block ahead or one block um, below, it was rough. It was a rough neighborhood. I remember vividly um, the Rolling Sixties Crips. They they were kind of the, the gang in that area, and my mom just the same. Did a lot to try and help, kind of protect us from a lot of the negativity that was kind of floating around. I went to 
59th Street Elementary School. Um, that was the first kind of like formal um, education that I uh, that I had. Uh, but my mom um, pretty quickly recognized that it just was not a good school. Um, not good in the sense that um, it felt like there were a lot of kind of gang activity in the area. And that, that was kind of one of the main things, if anything, that she was like, no, I, my kids need to go somewhere else. So I ended up going to Palms Elementary School in Culver City. So that's where I pretty much did elementary and uh, middle school, Palms Elementary and Palms Middle School. Still living in Hyde Park, I was supposed to go to Crenshaw High School, um, but right around that time, there was talk of Crenshaw High School potentially losing their accreditation, and my mom just the same was like, how is my son going to get a good education there? It just didn't sound like a good idea. And so we did what we had to do, and I ended up going to Santa Monica High School. And around this time is when I recognized um, how important it was that I surrounded myself with, with good people. Um, I noticed that a lot of my friends in high school were for sure going to do something with themselves, um, for sure going to graduate from high school, and for sure going to go to some type of college. And if I might say, I feel like that is not necessarily the case in a lot of our communities, uh, in a lot of uh, black communities. Because I saw it just the same in my friends from the neighborhood, that it was like a toss-up in terms of whether or not they were going to graduate from high school and college. Like, I was few and far between uh, ended up in college. Going to Santa Monica, Santa Monica High School, I uh, got a chance to get exposure to just a lot of cool stuff. My biology classes, chemistry, um, yeah, it really kind of helped spark that, that interest in the sciences. I knew probably like middle school or so that doctor just seemed like a, a profession that just was right, you know, it just seemed like between the sciences and you being able to help people and you're probably rich. Like it just seemed like <laughs> this is like what I want to do with myself, but it always was just a dream, right? It was, it always felt like a pipe dream, if you will. Um, Why did it feel like a pipe dream? Um, I would say that looking back, one of the main things was I just didn't know or see anybody who looked like me, who came from where I came from, um, who actually became a doctor. Um, you know, a lot of the images I saw on TV or in movies or whatever, doctor didn't look like me. Um, and just the same, I didn't have any family members who became doctors. Um, the way I talked about it or my mom talked about it was always like in this kind of like grandiose, like, you know, one day sort of thing, um, as opposed to wait, look at where we're looking and look at, look at our reality, um, look at our finances. Um, that just didn't seem possible. Right, because when you say finances, I know a lot of people instantly go to, oh, I can't afford to go to medical school or I can't afford to go to college. Mm -hmm. Right. And how, you know, and I guess we'll get into to that part is how did you finance medical school and you know, coming from you know, your mom's a respiratory therapist. She obviously works alongside other medical staff and medical doctors. But to think about how do you finance medical school? Because right now there's a lot of people graduating from high school, mm -hmm. planning to go on to college, and parents are fig trying to figure out. Do I get a plus loan? Do I get the Stafford subsidized loan, unsubsidized? Yeah. Do I, you know, the grants, of course, we know that's, that's basically uh, free money as long as you're passing your classes. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you know, the, the, the financing of it. So that's why it appeared to be a pipe dream to, to you guys. Like, okay, yeah, one day medical school. And your mom is like, I have a dream. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. You know, going from high school to undergrad, I went to UC Rivers Riverside for undergrad. Um, 
finances, like, like it was known that like my mom wouldn't be able to fully finance, you know, me going to college, but yeah, there were, there were loans. And I would say that I'm, I was naive then. And I think there's still some, um, naivete currently, um, about kind of finances, but I just always figured like, this is what I want to do. And the rest is going to kind of figure itself out. Um, or at least I hope it figures itself, it figures itself out. Um, and so going to UC Riverside, yeah, we, we had, uh, um, those different loans that helped pay for it. Um, my mom, bless her, she worked tirelessly to do whatever she could to help support me financially, emotionally, spiritually. And, um, between, you know, the assistance I got from the government and her, um, yeah, I made it through, through undergrad. Um, and so in undergrad, um, initially, um, I did pretty well. Um, I, uh, grades wise, things were, were going really well, but somewhere along the way, um, I kind of lost my way. Studying didn't become as important. Um, I was kind of just hanging out a lot and not really taking my classes seriously. I didn't really have a, a clear goal that like had substance. Um, this doctor thing was kind of uh, just, just the same. It was kind of like this like far off dream that sure, that's what I would like to do and that's what I say to people that that's what I want to do. But what, what was I actually taking the steps towards um, making it happen? Yeah, and I was not. Um, and so, yeah, I almost got kicked out of UC Riverside. Um, I was basically a semester away from, from getting kicked out because of poor grades. And then I realized my mom would probably kill me if I <laughs> got kicked out of <laughs> right. undergrad. And so, yeah, I basically got my button gear and, um, yeah, started um, taking things more seriously. Slowly but surely, um, I started taking um, my... Um, not upper division, but lower division classes like your general chemistry, biology, and things like that. Um, did what I had to do to pass those classes. Um, I would say if anybody who's like in that position or really any position where they are struggling, one of the things that I absolutely did not do at the time was reach out for help. Um, and I think this in part played into me as a black person and um, kind of feeling like I don't want anybody to think that I'm dumb. I don't want people to think that I'm less than in any way. So I don't ask for help. Um, and that is one of the things that I've learned has been a huge benefit to my life. Reaching out to those who have carved the path already, who have been where I want to be, um, is super important. And just the same when it comes down to even like the most, the, the class that is in front of you or the, the struggle that is in front of you, reaching out and asking for help. Um, will be huge. Um, and so, yeah, I started to do that more and more in undergrad. And um, thankfully, I graduated with a pretty decent GPA. But towards the end of uh, UC Riverside, I was recognizing my GPA isn't anywhere near what your average GPA for a medical school entrant um, would be. And just the same, I was, you know, starting to dabble in studying for the MCAT, which is basically the one of the tests that you take um, in the process of applying to medical school. Um, and a lot of my scores were just like nowhere near the average of, you know, your, your medical school applicant. And so all of that just kind of was disheartening. And I was like, well, don't really have the GPA, don't really have the MCAT scores. So... I guess I'm not going to be applying to medical school now. Um, and so after graduating from undergrad, I basically started working various odd jobs. Um, I worked in a group home. Um, I sold office supplies, business to business. Um, I substitute taught. Um, I worked at a psych facility um, at Loma Linda, um, which was an amazing experience. I mean, all of these experiences were looking back so formative in who I am today, and I would not take it back for a second. I mean, between undergrad and medical school was a good six years. Um, not your typical course for um, the kind of this road to being a physician, but absolutely 
taught me so much about empathy, all the different walks of life that people may have. Um, just a great experience. Um, and so as I'm kind of dabbling in these various positions over the, these six year, this six-year period, um, one of my friends um, at the uh, psychiatric facility, um, he was interested in uh, doing nursing. And he was like, well, let's just try and, you know, take some classes at a community college and see what happens. Um, so we ended up taking classes at San Bernardino Valley College, and I took anatomy, physiology, anatomy and human physiology. Um, and they just, like, absolutely, like, sparked my drive for, like, just, like, my love for the human body and human physiology. It was just amazing. Um, and it's, it's actually uh, interesting how many, like, wonderful teachers are in kind of the community college setting. Um, not to say anything about, you know, your uni university professors, but it just seemed like in so many ways it was hard to connect with um, professors um, at the university. But community college, are right there, and you're able to, like, pick their brain about so many different things. Um, and so that just, like, really sparked my, my drive in me, like, because I did really well. And um, I started tutoring uh, physiology, and just the same, like, I absolutely loved teaching. It was just to see that, like, spark when somebody actually, like, got uh, whatever we were discussing. It was just, heck yeah, like, I can, I can do more of this. Um, and so right around this time, um, one of the people I was working with um, at uh, the psychiatric facility, um, she had heard kind of my grumblings about potentially doing uh, medical school. And she um, had um, said something to the effect of, you know what, my husband, he, uh, he works with like these black doctors in the Riverside area. And you might be interested in, in like, talking with him because I think they have a program that kind of helps out um, people like you who are interested. And so um, one thing led to another, and I ended up doing this internship um, uh, as it uh, related to the J.W. Vines Medical Society. This is in the Riverside area. And, um, yeah, month-long summer internship where I followed... Um, a different physician each week and at the end of it I had to present a PowerPoint presentation um, that basically had to do with whatever so if I followed a urologist for example we had um, I presented on kidney stones and the entire process Angela was just absolutely amazing I was like I'm seeing black physicians who are just like badasses at what they do like just like confident and and then just the same, like, giving me a, a way to engage in it myself um, and recognizing my strength in terms of, like, presentation and um, how I communicate with others. It just lit a fire up under me. The dream was coming alive. It was coming alive, absolutely, absolutely. Um, in particular, um, there was a Dr. Levister. He's uh, um, one of the physicians um, he was doing. Um, yeah, he from New York and just uh, he challenged me right and he knew like my story right he knew that my grades were not very good from UC Riverside he knew my MCAT score at the time was not exactly where it needed to be and he was very upfront and honest with me um, but just the same it wasn't like he was saying get the hell out of here what are you doing thinking about doing this medical thing he was like you're not exactly where you need to be but that doesn't mean that you can't get to where you need to be and it was just like wait what this like amazing physician who like is saying that like wait there's like a, a chance that i can become a doctor this is like not just like a dream and it gives me chills right now just to even talk about it um that it's possible that it's possible and that just set me up. I was like, okay, let's go. And so I um, took more classes at uh, San Bernardino Valley College uh, to kind of finish up some of the courses that had 
expired from undergrad. Um, and <clears throat> in the process, I ended up getting accepted to a public health program uh, at Turo University in Vallejo. And um, so around that time, I'm doing the, the master's program. I'm restudying for the MCAT um, to improve my score and reapplying um, to medical school. While you were up north working on getting your master's in public health, had you already applied to medical school? Was this your first time applying or how did the medical school applications go? While I was uh, in my master's program, this was my second time applying. The first time around, I applied to just about every school in the nation. And that was with my initial MCAT score. And I got rejected from every school. And this is prior to the JW Vines program. Th this is actually before, this is after the JW Vines. Oh, okay. Yeah. At that point, that's when I got the direction to retake my MCAT. At that time, Turo was offering that if I did well in their master's in public health program, then they would give me an interview in their, for their medical school. And so I was like, yeah, I'll, <laughs> right, I'll go for it. Right. Um, and so having uh, retaken my MCAT, you know, having the master's in public health behind me, um, I reapplied to, to, um, to schools. I was, I mean, at this point, I was willing to do whatever it took. Staying in close contact with my mentor, he told me of all pretty much the options, right? He had been mentoring people for I don't even know how many years. And he told me about Morehouse. He was like, apply and see what happens. Um, and so I did. I was waitlisted. Then they uh, took me off their waitlist. And once again, I was off to the races. I had been accepted into medical school. This was like, this is my opportunity. There's no turning back from this. So I... Yes. Once again, I, I um, put my butt in gear and took full advantage of the opportunity. Atlanta was an amazing experience. Let me just tell you that. Um, coming from California, knowing nothing about the South, knowing nothing about Atlanta, I'm grateful that I was just open to the opportunity because I learned so much there. I learned about health disparities. I learned about uh, the generosity of people, just so much. And... In particular, I was uh, the main training site for Morehouse is Grady Hospital, which is a huge county facility in Atlanta, 973-bed hospital that was of the um, patient population, the disease processes that you see there. It was, it was amazing. And I knew that I wanted to work in a county facility uh, wherever I ended up training. Um, at that time, you know, this is during medical school is when you essentially decide what specialty you want to do. And I chose internal medicine because I loved the attention to detail, um, the relatively broad way of thinking about a disease process, all the different things that it could potentially be. And when I was tutoring human physiology, heart physiology was always, it just, I always loved that more than anything. And I knew I didn't want to do surgery, and so my path to do cardiology would go through internal medicine. Um, as much as I loved Atlanta, I knew I did want to come back home. Uh, my family's here. I, needed, I felt like I did need that support system. I was looking for a smaller to medium-sized program, uh, and I wanted to work at a, at a county facility. And so Harbor just hit all those points. And I'm just grateful that I was able to come back to California, be a resident here. Um, and it's been an amazing, almost now three years. Yeah. Wow. And next cardiology. Fellow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is what's happening. I'm, I'm going to be a cardiology fellow starting July 1st. It's such a wild experience. All the support that I've gotten from friends, family, my co-residents currently, um, all of the faculty members, it's like when you do what you want to do in life and you're open and willing to uh, accept what people can offer you, beautiful things are going to happen in your life. And, and I'm certainly an example of that for sure. When we come back, we'll talk about some of those health disparities and get into some general health talk. Great. I'm Angela Birdsong, and you're listening to Conversation Peace with Dr. Muhammad Shawab. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to Conversation Peace on RJLA. I am your host, Angela Birdsong, with Dr. Muhammad Shuaib, Morehouse Medical School alum and cardiology fellow at Harbor UCLA. Health disparities. You said you saw some health disparities while you were in Atlanta. Now you're here back in Los Angeles at a pretty large county facility. I don't know if it's as big as Grady um, Hospital in Atlanta. It's not? It's not? No, it's oh, not. Wow. It's on the smaller side. How many beds yeah. do they have there? I want to say it's like 500, 500 plus. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Now, so the, the health disparities. June is Men's Health Month. And I know during the pre-interview... Well, prior to the pre-interview, I was told that one of the reasons that you pursued a career in cardiology is because your dad had health issues and, and unfortunately had um, succumbed to, to those health issues. And, and my father did, too. My father had health issues and, and recently passed earlier this year. Um, he had congestive heart failure and had a massive stroke back in 2014. Mm-hmm. And was hospitalized from January until April of that of that year of 2014, and just you know, just a, a you know, lot of health issues, not taking care of himself, mm-hmm. and that's what we want to encourage the listeners to do today, Absolutely. is particularly the men, black men specifically, to to take care of themselves. What what do what do you see as as a health disparity and why being black is a risk factor? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's really interesting all throughout medical school um, and now practicing um, training for um, training in in medicine there. It's almost always been the case that African-Americans um had worse outcomes when it came to just about anything. Um, You know, when we're talking about a lot of those things, those like silent killers, high blood pressure, diabetes, cardiovascular disease, right? All those things that don't really hurt, right? When usually people are in pain, that's what drives them to get into the hospital um, or see a healthcare provider. High blood pressure 40% of African-Americans have hypertension. And of those, nearly half of them do not have their blood pressure under good control. Um, Just the same, when you look at diabetes, African-Americans are nearly twice as likely to have diabetes than white counterparts. Um, When it comes to kind of the long-standing sequelae of high blood pressure and diabetes, right? A lot of them have kidney damage as a result of that. Even though African Americans make up about 13% of the U.S. population, they make up one-third of your dialysis patient. Um, So one in three is going to be a black person. And dialysis in many ways is kind of the end of the road, is what it looks like when high blood pressure diabetes, cardiovascular disease is not well taken care of. Um, And so what I will see um, often is um, when I'm taking care of patients, um, there's almost like this like um, this prejudice, right? That when I see a black person that likely their disease process is going to be worse than my other patients. Um, they are potentially non-adherent to their medications. Um, these are the thoughts that go, in, go through my head, and I have to be honest about that, um, that to recognize that, but just the same, do my best to treat them like anybody else who walks through this door. If this was my mother, my father, my brother, that I'm giving them the best care that I can give them. The disparity, um, right, some of those statistics that I talked about right now, um, why? I mean, why is that the case that we're seeing um, these kind of worse outcomes? Um, there's a couple different reasons that people have hypothesized. Um, 
certainly when it comes down to um, uh, the um, the culture that is the black culture, um, well, what are the things that kind of present as risk factors for worsening disease? Um, the things that I would not want my black brothers and sisters to be doing, right? Smoking, we see that um, in a greater um, uh, prevalence in the African-American population than in other populations. Um, in general, uh, what the things that I would not want them to be doing is a sedentary lifestyle, right? Being active in some kind of way. Um, the diet, um, diet is really important. Um, and there's a lot of controversy in terms of, you know, um, y you know, you're going to hear different types of diet plans that people, um, uh, vegan offer. versus vegetarian. Exa right. <laughs> yes, exactly. Honey, keto, yes keto or no. Diet, right. All of these different things. Um, but I'll tell you that in general, probably, you know, fast food diets, um, and things that are convenient, are probably not going to be good for you. And this is something that I recognized living in, um, you know, where I grew up in Hyde Park versus when I would go to high school at Santa Monica or being at, in Atlanta where Morehouse, the medical school, is actually located versus where I lived. Um, when it came to being in those areas of lower socioeconomic status, they were essentially food deserts. And by food deserts, um, am I going to be able to get healthy groceries, vegetables, right, fruits, um, things that are going to be ultimately better for my health? And it was invariably not the case, right? My, my best option was going to be some fast food restaurant um, or a liquor store, gas station. Um, I'm grateful to see that Hyde Park is, has a few more grocery options uh, now than previous but yeah, that's, I mean, that's one of those things that um, drives people to um, worse health, right? When they don't even necessarily have the options to, um, to get the food that's going to nourish them. Um, I'll say just the same that um, education literally from childhood and up um, is also really important, um, that we are educating ourselves as people um, of what the best practices are for us, um, that we um, um, are doing things in terms of um, proper sleep, um, proper diet, exercise, um, plugging into the healthcare system, period. W one of the things that's uh, pretty alarming when it comes to black men specifically um, is life expectancy, right? The life expectancy for a white woman is about 81 years. Um, for a black woman, um, it's a little less than 80 years. It's about 78 years. For a white man, it's about 76 years. And for a black man, it is 72 years. 72 years. It's... and what we've seen is that a lot of it has to do with um, our black black men plugged into the healthcare system. They are far more likely to not have health insurance, to not see a healthcare provider, to not take um, advantage of preventative services when they are offered. Um, they also are more likely to be single, and we've seen that um, married men basically live longer, anywhere from 10 to 20 years longer than their um, single or unmarried counterparts. Um, so, yeah, those are some of the reasons why I think we're seeing um, these disparities. Um, one of the things that um, I was uh, privy to when I was doing my master's in public health is how racism plays into health. Um, and this being real or perceived racism. Um, so you may not even necessarily have had anything done to you, um, but this even perceived racism has led to 
worse health outcomes. Um, part of this, uh, or part of the theory that's hypothesized, uh, is related to uh, stress, um, and specifically cortisol, um, and how it affects the body um, when it's chronically elevated. There is one study um, from, there's basically like a huge um, study called the Multi-Ethnic Study of Atherosclerosis, the MESA study, which basically looks at all, um, many different races, huge study, and they've basically been able to mine data from this large study that's been going on for years now. Um, one of the studies that they got um, is looking at cortisol levels in uh, blacks versus whites. And um, they found that um, basic, basically, uh, let me back up just uh, a second. Cortisol is a, a steroid. It basically comes from your adrenal gland. And it, in times of stress, uh, will elevate and kind of help the body to manage that stressor. Um, right, it may help release more glucose so that your body has the energy to fight off some kind of stressor, amongst other things. Um, what they saw in this study was that uh, in African Americans, the cortisol levels would not rise as high as in whites. Um, and one of the, th the theories that's hypothesized is that because these cortisol levels were chronically elevated, that the body basically has a blunted response to stressors. It almost sounds a little paradoxical, but because there is kind of this chronic elevation in cortisol, that when a stressor is experienced, the cortisol level doesn't necessarily rise as much. Um, and so there's uh, plenty of evidence that shows that elevated cortisol levels um, leads to uh, worse cardiovascular disease, um, diabetes, and high blood pressure. And these are all the risk factors that play into heart disease, stroke, et cetera. Um, yeah. Yeah. Now you had, yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty scary right there. Now you, you had said um, during the pre-interview that Africans migrating to the United States started to develop the same risk factor factors as black Americans who are born and raised here. And that was the um, study from the cortisol? Yeah. Um, so uh, one of the things that, um, well, not directly related to cortisol, mm -hmm. a lot of those um, studies looked at African immigrants um, who came here um, and kind of tracked their health as they, they stayed. Um, what we're seeing now is that uh, that disparity, essentially the dis disparity being African immigrants tended to have, um, they tended to weigh less um, and essentially eat better than their African American counterparts. Um, and what we're seeing more recently is that they're actually coming with a lot of diabetes, high blood pressure already. And we're seeing that as it relates to how um, westernized culture has gone into these African countries. Um, but yeah, McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we are, um, there, there is evidence that, um, shows that, uh, once they come to the U S, um, that they start to adopt basically acculturate into Western societies and start to develop some of the same uh, issues that we're seeing in African Americans. So when you say that, you know, we have these health disparities because we're smoking, we're not active, our nutrition sucks, we're not getting proper sleep. I'm guilty of not getting proper sleep. That That's <laughs> my main issue right there. Same here. <laughs> I, 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 need, I need a lot, lot more sleep. But when, when we go, so when we decide that we are going to the doctor what do we need to do when we, you know, sometimes we just go to the doctor, we just show up and the doctor asks you, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing okay. Well, why are you here? Oh, my, my wife, my daughter, my, my kids told me to come. So that, that's why I'm here. Yeah, right. And that's how, how should we, what, what should we do to prepare to go for that checkup with the doctor? 
Yeah, I think um, if it is your first time, um, really having most of the things that they're going to want to know is just to know about you, period. And, and I think that's pretty easy. You can kind of just tell your story. They're likely going to want to know about any like family history um, of any kind of disease, um, any surgeries you may have had. Um, they kind of want to know about where do you live? Who do you live with? Um, those things that um, may affect your health in terms of smoking, um, any drug use. All of those things are um, and sometimes I get this sense that um, people want to almost like please their physician, right? Tell them something that we want to hear. But really the only way that we're going to get to a place where we're truly treating you in the best way that we can is if we truly know you. Um, and so, yeah, if you smoke, let us know that you smoke. And don't be shy about how long you've smoked for or anything like that. Um, I am not here to judge you in any way, shape, or form. I have my misgivings. And so, yeah, just being open and honest with your physician. The fact that you brought yourself there in the first place, kudos to you. Let's go now. Let's, let's get this, like, let's get this figured out. Um, if you're currently on any medications, having those medications ready, knowing the dosages, or if you can actually bring your medications, that'd be, that'd be fantastic. Um, yeah, those are some of the things that kind of jump out. Um, and once you've kind of plugged into, um, uh, the healthcare system, um, it's important to, to maintain that relationship. Um, there, you know, I, I feel like the relationship that African-Americans have with, uh, the healthcare system has historically, for sure, been one of distrust. Um, but more recently, I think it's really important that um, I think there are a lot of wonderful physicians, and you are more likely to be interacting with a person who genuinely wants to help you rather than someone who is in it for money or is trying to do some sort of research study on you or something like that. Um, so trusting the process, I think, is really important. Right, because we do not want to be part of another Tuskegee <laughs> experiment. Right, yeah. Right, yeah, that's, that, that's very, very recent. Mm -hmm. um, I know one thing, I was doing some reading, and, you know, you were talking about nutrition, and I know I have heard, and I've heard this in my own family, where I'm just going to put my older brother out there. He said, you know, sis, we, we, some things we're just not going to be able to escape. You know, mm. pops had it. Um, our grandparents had it. But that goes to generational eating habits. If we're mm. eating the same way that our parents were and our grandparents who had heart disease, then, yeah, we're going to get heart disease, too. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's a genetic thing, but it can be just out of habit, a habitual where we're eating and doing like our parents and grandparents were. Sure, absolutely. Um, uh, you know, it's an age-old adage that birds of a feather flock together. Certainly, we will see that there are um, genetic predispositions to disease. That being said, um, yeah, I, I mean, I see it in myself even, right? When I'm hanging around certain people, I eat in a, eat a certain way and it is just not the healthiest for me. When I hang out with other people who are eating healthier, I eat healthier. Um, and I think just the same um, as black people, uh, what is certainly tied to black identity, black culture, um, is food, right? Right. So when you're talking about the black identity, black culture, the foods yeah, that yeah, we eat. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's important that we certainly hold on to our identity as black people, for sure. That being said, if there are things that are not working for our health, our, uh, whether it be mental health, physical health, spiritual health, it needs to be dropped. It needs to be set aside, right? It just does. And maybe it doesn't even need to be set aside completely, but we have to make some serious changes or we die, 
right? Or we die sooner, or we end up on dialysis, or we have a heart attack, we have a stroke. That's not what I want to see, right? Um, that's not what you would want for yourself, for your family member. And so if it means giving up some of those foods, practices, then that's what it means. And I think there is a narrative that is told that we certainly all, well, I wouldn't say all, but that enough of us buy into that we have to be a certain way to be black enough. And I just don't think that is true. I mean, I felt that not even with food, but just even educate myself. Right? I felt like if I'm trying to do something with myself, oh, I'm like being too white or uh, somehow I don't fit in. That was what was one of the coolest things about going to Morehouse is that I saw, um, and even the the Vines program that I was in, like seeing black excellence, right? Seeing that narrative that's different from what I get on TV um, or in the news, that there's a way that we can um, be black, be educated, be of the community, that we're doing positive things period and eating a little cornbread every now and then just the same (laughs) right but recognizing that yeah we we have to change certain things about what we're doing right you're listening to conversation piece i'm angela birdsong we have dr muhammad shuab with us and we'll be right back Welcome back to Conversation Peace. I'm your host, Angela Birdsong, with Dr. Muhammad Shuaib. We were talking off air with you being a black man, mm-hmm. what are your health risks? What's happening with your what with your health? Yeah, um, I would say like in my mid twenties or so, um, my blood pressure has always been borderline. Um, I've for the most part always been able to control it with diet, exercise, um, but just the same, there'll be times where my diet kind of goes out the window. I'm eating whatever it is in and out ice cream, you name it. Um, But I've recognized, certainly as I've gotten older, that um, it's more important that I'm eating healthy um, because, you know, I'm not always going to be able to just, like, work it off with exercise. And having a consistent um, process to to what what I'm doing. Um, So, personally, um, one of the things that's always uh, been taught to me is ascribing to something that's closer to a Mediterranean diet, uh, right? A lot of plant-based things, rarely eating meats, uh, things like that. Um, Staying away from a lot of the the carbohydrates in terms of the breads and and things like that. And when I eat that way, I have more energy. I think clearly. And it's like many things in life, you know, a lot of the times the things that are good for you. Um, they are hard to gain as a habit, but once you gain that habit, they're really easy to live with. And just the opposite, right? A lot of those bad habits, they're easy to take on, but hard to live with and can even be deadly, right? Um, so I'd say personally, yeah, food, um, my weight, um, and my blood pressure are all those things that I need to watch. Um, and I'm not exempt from this thing because I'm training to be a doctor, right? This is, this is what I have to, to, to do. Um, and I'm putting it to you guys just the same, that really take responsibility for your health. Um, because at the end of the day, no one really cares um, as much about your health um, as you could potentially care about it, right? And so, yeah, take, take that pride in the body that you were given um, and treat it the best you can. Right. Self-care. Because we know if we go to Jack in a Box 
and get that two taco. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those two tacos that everybody like to get from Jack in the Box. Mm-hmm. As opposed to going and buying some squash or getting a head of lettuce, then you're you're making clear choices on what's going to be nutritionist for for your body. And you said and you get the burger and you get the shake or are you hanging around friends who have unhealthy habits and it's hard to not join in in that pizza party mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but to say I'm going to have a salad instead or bring your own lunch right. with you and, and pack a healthy lunch what do you do for physical activity yeah I like to do a lot of different things. Um, I played tennis in high school, so I try and play tennis as much as possible. Um, yeah, real like black sport, right? That's uh, <laughs> no, it's a black sport. Come on, what about these Williams girls? No. Come on now. <laughs> absolutely, I, I know, you're I absolutely you right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, but that's yes. going back to you know, as, as breaking that 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 black identity, the the that black culture, like you said. And when we think of sports for black people, we automatically go to basketball, football, yep. track maybe baseball used to be baseball Mm -hmm. and but anything walking outside yes tennis um i I don't know bowling is bowling considered (laughs) (laughs) probably not burning a whole lot of calories yeah but no i tried um to run um i did the la marathon um this past uh, uh march um i do rock climbing um one of the things that I've been trying to incorporate more into my life is yoga, uh, which is, yeah, one another one of those things that is, when you right, you don't necessarily think of black people when you think of yoga. One of the coolest things that I uh, recently uh, heard about, one of my friends was telling me about um, a yoga studio in South Central, um, The Tree. And it's just the coolest thing, being able to see people of all shapes, sizes, colors, Doing yoga, it's just absolutely fantastic. So why are we going there very soon? Very soon. Yeah. And that is the Tree South LA Yoga Studio right there on Western and 83rd Street. Yep. yep. <laughs> and I only know about that because we, we hear about that often here at, at the station. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I don't I don't know what is it is there a nominal cost for that? Do you know? That is the beauty of it. It's it's basic it's donation based. Oh. Yeah. You just you go, you go. So we have we have no excuses Absolutely for for not. staying active, because since we're in Los Angeles, you can walk. It's not raining every day or even once once a week. Absolutely. And so now you and I have said that sleep is an issue for us. Any quick sleep tips that you and I need to take on? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, in the medical field, we call it sleep hygiene. That's kind of like that preparation for sleep. Um, some of the things that are important is that wherever you do sleep, that you are not doing things that are wakeful, right? You really want to prepare your body for the process of sleeping. So getting into bed, not having your phone with you or a laptop or um, even really reading. Um, once you get into bed, really be asleep. And even if you can't go to sleep and you're just laying in bed, get up. Get up and do something, move around, and then try again. Um, Just the same in terms of eating. You don't want to eat too closely uh, to when you are going to be going to sleep. Obviously, things like that are stimulants before you go to sleep, like caffeine. Um, Probably not a good thing to to take. Um, Yeah, those are kind of those main main things. And and making sure that you're getting enough sleep. Um, I'm trying to wake up earlier um, to be able to just take care of and do a lot of self-care uh, in the morning. But that also means that i got to go to bed uh, earlier than not. It's been tricky, but when I do it, it's been an amazing experience. So, yeah. I, I have horrible sleep hygiene and sleep habits. <sighs> we can do this. We can do this, Angela. Right, right. You know, and the other things I, I, I do, I, I used to smoke cigarettes. Mm-hmm. I stopped smoking in October of 2007 mm-hmm. haven't had a cigarette since heck yeah 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 and that feels real good so I and I know that's a hard habit to to break my my nutrition is is a, is a whole lot better 
I, I make better choices. I've stopped eating fast food long time ago. Mm. And, and, I, and I exercise. I exercise five days a week. And, and it's a combination of power walking, cardio kick, boot camp, and, love it. and floor Pilates. <laughs> awesome. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 But I may have to go and check out Tree, the Tree South LA Yoga. May have to go and, and check them out. Now, any last words, anything, any um, sites or anything you want to share bef- before we say goodbye? Yeah. Um, I will say um, that wherever you are in life, um, that there is always hope. Um, I am uh, a believer in God, and I do and honestly whatever you believe in um, just recognize that there is strength within you that there is um, there's a light and you know it you know that there's this thing that you're like almost like meant to be doing Um, listen to that don't be afraid to take that on um, and allow yourself or give yourself that um, that grace to to accept help when you need it um, because you are, you're capable of more than you think you are capable of. I was just the same for my black brothers and sisters. That is really important that we, as a community, come together for each other because we really can't do this ourselves. Um, it really does take a village, right? Um, and let's do it for the sake of our health, mentally, spiritually, physically. Um, being plugged into a physician um, is your best bet in terms of getting um, your health in order because you're able to find out, right, is my blood pressure up? Um, do I have diabetes, right? Because you, you may not even know that. Um, and, yeah, I, I love it when my patients um, are uh, involved in their care, right? They've Googled certain diets, um, uh, disease processes, and they come informed um and i can engage with that um and so yeah google is your best friend um certainly be weary right in terms of like uh take things with a grain of salt and i think it's important that you first and foremost have a physician um but yeah it's it's important that you that you have that knowledge have that knowledge to avoid the sugar the pressure and the gout and more (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah right yes yes doctor thank you so much for for being on conversation piece and sharing your story and giving us important tips on how to overcome these health disparities that that we find ourselves in culturally and because there's something happening within our bodies with this cortisol yeah 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 thank you angela thank you for this opportunity this is this is great and we're most definitely going to have you back because you're going to be conversation piece resident doctor i like the sound of that okay cool the sound of that thank you to my conversation piece guest dr muhammad shuaib for sharing his story to inspire others to attend medical school inform all men to in particular to take preventive measures for good health habits against diabetes hypertension and other ailments common to african americans thank you to leslie radford adam rice joseph tucker and michael washington of m wash so for the opening and closing theme song and always you our rjla family Reach us on Radio Justice Facebook. Give us some love. Give us some likes as you listen to us worldwide anytime on RadioJustice.org. I'm Angela Birdsong. Once again, thank you for allowing me to share this very special experience of conversation piece on Radio Justice LA Morning Wake Up Call with you. Remember to be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be brave. Be courageous. And let all that you do be done with you.